0: Macy's may soon be asking for your hand-me-downs. The department store announced last week it would be partnering with the world's largest online thrift store. Retailers still on edge from the Trump administration's call for an additional 10% tariff on Chinese goods can breathe easy for a while. The United States Trade Representative Office announced it would be delaying the tariffs until December 15th. And this just in, brick and mortar is on the up and up. We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, August 19th, and this is your Retail Rundown. Joining us today are Carol Speakerman and Lionel Binney. Carol is the president of Speakerman Retail, where she helps leading global retailers successfully navigate retail from now to next since the year 2000. And Lionel is the founder and CEO of M-Source Ideas, and he's also an award-winning author of the book, The Future of Omnichannel Retail, Predictions in the Age of Amazon. Welcome to The Rundown. Great to be here. Thank you. Great to have you on the show. The first bit of news we're going to go over today is uh, what we've heard a lot of people talking about, and that is the tariff delay. Retail shares jumped last Tuesday after the USTR announced it would be delaying proposed tariffs on electronics, including cell phones, laptops, and gaming consoles, in addition to clothing, footwear, and a number of other items until December 15th. President Trump said Tuesday his decision to delay tariffs was to avoid a negative impact on the upcoming holiday season. He also said the delays would help a lot of people. And retailers around the nation are breathing easier again as stocks, including Guess, Abercrombie, American Eagle, and Chico's, were up by 5% or more following the news. But... With the delay now in effect, is this postponement just a temporary sigh of relief? What can we expect from retailers over the coming months?
1: Well, you know, I work with a lot of different, you know, really diverse group of retail stakeholders. And when I talk to my clients, you know, whether they're fashion companies, CPG companies, brand marketers, even technology providers, they're definitely all sweating these tariffs, but it isn't just the tariffs themselves, You know, the money implication of it, it's the unpredictability and the volatility that's freaking them out because it's compromising their ability to plan their business. And you know, to me, the fundamental premise of the tariffs is not a good starting point because it's just all stick and no carrot, if you will. It's rooted in political punishment rather than really thoughtfully thinking of how to provide benefit to US companies and also i'll say that they're disconnected from retail reality because these tariffs oversimplify the conversation and they ignore a lot of the moving parts and again a lot of the diverse stakeholders that are affected by them because there are so many you know adjacent businesses and business models in retail now that are vulnerable to these tariffs you know you look at for example the licensing world licensors those who own brands and intellectual property and licensees those who source products for those brands licensing is pervasive in retail you know whether you see it or not but a lot of these companies they don't make anything so not only are they not benefiting from the tariffs are actually being hurt by them because they source from companies that do make things in china so this is just one of many examples of sort of a chain reaction that can blow through and impact so many different businesses that are connected to retail but more than anything we need to dispel this myth that tariffs can return manufacturing to the U.S. Because first of all, manufacturing isn't the only or even the primary way that U.S. companies participate in retail and that ship sailed a long time ago. But depending on the category, a tariff on a particular country does not necessarily or even usually correlate directly to you know a U.S. manufacturer picking up that business. And I'll add that for retailers that are pumping up their private brand programs, which describes a lot of them these days, it really is a double whammy. You know, I've been forecasting for a while that U.S. retailers were gonna get really, you know, doubling down on private brands once again. And we see that unfolding right now. Well, one of the reasons they're doing that is because private brands have better margins. So some of these retailers have these really highly developed sourcing operations and their private brands are really propping up their profitability. So that dings that profitability and then you couple it with the higher costs that their national brand suppliers are incurring and yes, passing on to them. And it is a double whammy. At the end of the day, it's just another nail that these retailers don't wanna have to extricate after they've navigated so many of these headwinds that are coming from other places. So tariffs, you know, the bottom line is they might be sort of a metaphor for US protectionism, but it really isn't usually the outcome, especially the way they're being done now with this sort of haphazard approach this is what's causing the anxiety it's causing the anxiety with individual companies with all of these different retail stakeholders and now we see that it's causing a lot of anxiety and volatility in the global markets wow
0: well thank you carol for that that was a really good response on the topic of tariffs i think that it's causing a lot of disruption lionel what are your thoughts on the tariffs
2: i mean the idea that tariffs are to like incentivize u.s manufacturers doesn't make much sense because the cost of living in countries like China and Asia, where apparel and stuff like that is being made is so much lower. American manufacturers could never be competitive. I mean, they could never create jobs that people would want. So I would question if that's the motive of the tariffs. I think that's very dubious. I just watched a clip on TV about Trump saying that the tariffs won't affect US consumers because the manufacturers are paying it. China's paying for the tariffs. But obviously, if they raise prices, that money's got to come from somewhere to pay for the tariffs. So obviously, it'll come in price raises as well. So anyway, he's backed off until December fifteenth, so that you know retailers can buy their inventory, I suppose, before. This year's holiday inventory can be purchased before December 15th. I guess that's the idea. Right, just in time for the holidays. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of U.S. shoppers are foreign tourists. You know, like half of the people at Macy's Herald Square, the Anchor Store, are like from other countries. So having low prices on fashion in America, that attracts people to come here. You know, people come from Europe and South America and Asia just to shop. I mean, that's half of the reason they come here is to buy stuff.
0: That's a good point. And the concern's definitely around the potential effects beyond goods costing more, but the impact on businesses and trade tensions. So as you mentioned before, Lionel, our next piece of news is about Macy's. The 106-year-old retailer announced last week that it's teaming up with a leader in online fashion resale, ThreadUp, to bring recycled clothing to 40 stores across the U.S., In less than 24 hours, news broke that JCPenney would be doing the same, partnering with ThredUp to offer secondhand women's apparel and accessories in 30 locations. For Macy's, with shares now at a 52-week low, it's evident it needs some wins, and the resale market is a growing one. ThredUp published Pretty shocking figures predicting growth from $24 billion to $51 billion by 2023, in turn claiming as much as 10% of industry sales. And with apparel accounting for about half of the resale market, fashion brands are all ears right now. In reference to the partnership, Macy's CEO did mention consumers' passion for sustainable fashion. So is this partnership an altruistic social cause for Macy's or just another diversification play? And is it a strong one considering the Macy's brand?
2: Well, yeah, I actually, my son happens to work in a vintage clothing chain called Buffalo Exchange. They've got like 40 stores and he's into fashion. So, and he's been buying and selling like used skateboard apparel and sneakers and skateboards online for years. There's this huge cachet for, you know, younger people to to where things that are like really unique because you know maybe there's only one left you know they didn't come out of a store yes so they've been bought and sold a few times so i'm just validating that now is macy's a good fit for that kind of very sort of niche sort of hip kind of appeal to you know my son is 21 you know is he going to go to macy's to buy vintage clothing i very much doubt it those folks like to buy vintage clothing in sort of quirky places like Buffalo Exchange, where my son works, and just online. I mean, they like it's all about quirky, you know, the unique find. I'm sure Carol has a lot to say about that. But environmental impact, you know, I I don't think my son it doesn't cross his mind that it might be better for the environment to wear, you know, an already manufactured and re, reused shirt. I, you know, hate to say it, but that's not why he's doing it. It's because it's cool. Well,
1: actually, I think there's a lot, there's different aspects to it. You know, I think both moves are very in brand for Macy's. I think there, there's absolutely no conflict there, but it's not necessarily going to be a panacea for their problems. You know, Macy's is getting hit from all sides right now. I mean, all retailers are, but some are kind of uniquely impacting Macy's, you know, the tariffs we just talked about, you know, Macy's recently just said, Hey, we can actually absorb maybe as much as 10% tariff increase, but when we're getting up into the twenties, you know, 25% tariffs, that's a completely different calculus that can completely throw them off. But then you've got currency fluctuations as Lionel mentioned, you know, the decline in international tourism, that's so vital for Macy's. So, You know, again, not a panacea for all of Macy's problems, very in brand, not a bad thing to do. But, you know, in terms of just sort of pulling the camera back and and why these types of partnerships are happening, when any retailer makes one of these partnerships, whenever they jump into these new business models, the knee jerk question always tends to be, hey, is this going to be a big win? Is this going to move the needle? But the fact is, so many of these launches these days are just diversification plays and they achieve lots of different goals, even if they don't evolve into becoming really high volume businesses. You know, they drive newness for one thing, which is so important in the apparel space and the fashion space. That technically, if it goes according to plan, drives more frequent visits to stores and to websites. um, And that should equate to more sales just beyond the brands that are driving the, the traffic. So, you know, on a larger plane, this business model diversification. This is sort of one of the big takeaways. Retailers are growing through business model diversification. This is the growth vehicle of the future. Sometimes building stores, but not just, you know, store growth driving all of that. And when you think about it, you know, here again is where Amazon has set the standard because the reason they're so deadly is because they're so diversified. Amazon can take margin over here and then take market share over there or even buy market share. So again, this is where Macy's is completely in alignment. There's no disconnect. This isn't a off-brand thing for them to do, but it isn't necessarily going to fix all of their problems. And I would say on the sustainability front, that really is table stakes these days. So I wouldn't say they get big bonus points for doing it. It's just very much in alignment with where retail is going. But what's happening is retailers are going to have to keep upping the stakes in sustainability. You know, I spoke at, actually a sustainability conference in Europe uh, last month. And I was talking about what I call sustainability's second act. And it's a world where retailers can't just check the boxes, they can't just you know, get credit for sustainability and you know, run a few ads and call it a day. They're having to dig really deep into their supply chains now in order to make sustainability gains. You see Patagonia and other leading companies that have been on the cutting edge of sustainability doing that you know, digging deeper. And now with these new generations of shoppers, they really have to show some receipts, because they, you know, they're being watched. And so what's happening with Macy's and other companies, to their credit, instead of attempting to grow it themselves, and, you know, risk all kinds of scrutiny and backlash, the shortcut is to do it through partnership, and do it with companies you know, like ThreadUp, that already have that credibility and that have already done that work. And that's why, you know, JCPenney said, hey, Macy's did it, we'll jump in too. So again, very much in alignment for Macy's, very in brand, very compatible with the Macy's brand to do what they're doing, but not necessarily a business saver.
0: Well would you say, I mean, we see JCPenney hopping on the bandwagon as well. Do you think we'll see other big department stores do the same in the coming months? I mean, is this something that is going to really take off?
1: Well, one of the dynamics or what I call my retail trajectories, one of the trajectories that I talk a lot about is ubiquity is the new exclusivity. So with that, you know, when you think about a brand like ThreadUp, it used to be that if they did something with Macy's, they would keep it exclusive to Macy's and everybody else would say, well, I guess Macy's got that partnership. Well, now you see just within a matter of days already announcing a partnership with JCPenney. So that's a way for ThreadUp to scale its business. What they they offer obviously is so valuable that they didn't give an exclusive to Macy's. And on the other side of that, other retailers are jumping in. So it looks like ThreadUp is going to be scaling its business model through these retail partnerships. And you know we might very well see other retailers jumping in, but either way, plenty of retailers these days have already forged these types of partnerships. They're happening almost on a daily basis, whether they're announcing them or not, partnering with other companies that have this credibility and sustainability and jumping in and doing it through partnership and then moving on to the next thing.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is there any risk though that you know, it might cannibalize their existing inventory?
1: I don't think that's a big factor. Which kind of goes back to the fact that it's pr- not necessarily going to turn into this big blowout business either.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, it
1: just addresses some very specific goals and very specific market dynamics and generational dynamics that Macy's needs to be on top of. So I, I don't know that they're looking at cannibalization as much as they're just looking at compatibility in ways that that these brand relationships again drive newness, drive interest and give them that sustainability credibility that's so important with new generations of shoppers.
2: I mean, you know, good for Macy's that they're trying things, right? I mean, they should be trying all of this stuff. I mean, what they should really do is buy Buffalo Exchange, this chain that my son works at, or have shop-in-shops, you know, store-in-store departments licensed from Buffalo Exchange. I mean anyone that can has even any level of edge or sort of fashion appeal or urbanism should be doing vintage yeah.
0: Yeah and I wonder if, since it is the resale market I mean the figures say the biggest generation that shops the resale market is Gen Z with 37% compared to 27% millennials and then it's a 19% baby boomers but I wonder what the split yeah. is when you look at the resale market I mean that includes the the more value shoppers and the sustainability aspect, but then there's also probably a big part of that that's about the vintage and being unique and exclusive in what you're wearing so i just don't know how that market yeah. will evolve right as gen z ages
2: well i think it's definitely it's a good trend to keep track of but right. i mean good for macy's for trying it and jc penny they should be trying anything and everything and
1: macy's has a history of that you know a recent history they've they've done lots of partnerships they have the market at macy's where they work with emerging brands so you know again very in brand for macy's not groundbreaking for them and just sort of one additional piece to the portfolio that covers off on several things at once.
0: Thank you, Carol. You made some really good points. Though, personally, it feels a bit off-brand to me. Maybe they're ahead of their time, and I'm most interested to see how the offering will be marketed to consumers, and hopefully it it does attract more foot traffic in its brick-and-mortar stores. Speaking of, our last bit of news covers the newly released IHL Report, Findings revealed that for every U.S. retail store that closed this year, five new stores have opened their doors. Notably, bankruptcies have decreased and the majority of store closings belong to a minority of retailers, with 75% belonging to only 20 chains. Meanwhile, discount and convenience stores are planning hundreds of new locations. Carol, what is your take on these findings?
1: Well, you know, you can, you can, it's again, sort of a knee-jerk reaction to say, hey, this is good news, but I would just call it news because, you know, sort of getting out that myth-busting mallet again, if you will, there are a couple of myths that are still really pervasive in retail in relation to brick and mortar. One is that, you know, retailers that close stores are struggling. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. And that retailers that open stores are thriving, or that when the retail industry is opening lots of stores, that it means retail as a whole is thriving. Um, Sometimes that's the case, but, but it isn't necessarily the best barometer anymore of retail success. So really what's happening is that stores are playing a new role in retail. So I think we need to talk about the role that stores play or don't play in different retailer strategies. You know, you talked about those dollar stores, for example, anytime you look at the number of stores that they're opening, it's just like astounding. And they, they will tell you that they've got plenty of room to open tens of thousands of locations more, and sometimes on a global basis. So, you know, convenience, you know, you mentioned convenience, Julia, that's becoming so important right now to shoppers. And it's even overtaking price as in terms of a top decision driver. So what's happening is some of these retailers strategies for brick and mortar is to just kill with convenience through sheer physical scale. And that's those dollar stores. That's those hard discounters like Aldi and Lidl. But then you've got other retailers that are right sizing. They're going to smaller formats. They're slowing down store growth, but not all of them are doing it because their business is suffering. They're doing it because they can because some of these retailers now have so much robust data that they can determine which markets they can address purely digitally that, you know, that's why when you're in Lionel's market, you know, in New York city, you'll see ads for Walmart, even though there aren't any Walmart stores, you know, right there in Manhattan. It's why you'll see ads for Macy's in Bentonville where Walmart's based, but there aren't any Macy's stores because they're driving their digital business. But at the same time, Uh, and this is a fairly new awareness on the part of retailers even retailers that are really pumping up their digital presence in their e-commerce and even addressing some markets purely digitally they're realizing that if they close too many stores that they're compromising awareness for their brands because these stores are billboards for their brand and that in turn actually drives their digital businesses so they have to strike that balance you know that's sort of the end game is striking that balance between having that presence you know just enough presence but also driving productivity and then again some retailer strategy is to just kill with convenience and say you know we're going to just have a store on every block on every corner we're going to be the neighborhood store and that's how they're planning their business so different strategies for different retailers and stores achieve different things for all of them
2: right with all the sort of uh, hyperbole about the retail apocalypse and the sort of you know Oh, gosh, all the stores are closing. That's why I wrote my book, because I really wanted to dig deep into, well, is it, you know, is that really happening? Is it really a retail apocalypse? And what does that even mean? Because we know people are not going to stop buying things. So, yeah, I mean, it's not good news or bad news. It's just news. And, yeah, when I researched my book two years ago, same thing. I came up with the conclusion that more stores were opening than were closing. I mean, 6,000 stores closed or something in 2017 about 10,000 opened. So, you know, it's like good news for brick and mortar. I mean, really, it's, I hate to say it, but that's really not the point. I mean, if people are buying online, what's wrong with that? You know? So as Carol said, what is the purpose of the store? The store is a 3000 year old business model, you know, like stuff is local and you go pick it up. Now the internet, not true anymore. You don't need to go have a store to go look at stuff. You look at it online. So the purpose of stores is different now and that's neither good nor bad. It's just is.
1: Well, the the word convenience keeps coming up and, you know, I'll just stress again that that really is the operative word, but what's happened with retailers is they've realized that, you know, before they wanted to say, ah, there's an online shopper, there's a brick and mortar shopper, but now they've realized that different customers define convenience differently and they can define it differently, even depending on, you know, the category they're shopping or the time of day. So, It's sort of an all-of-the-above world. I guess that wraps up a lot of what we've talked about today, is that retailers are having to do lots of different things. They can't just pigeonhole consumers into certain ways of shopping. They also cannot you know, just curate brands and tell shoppers, this is what you're going to buy, you know, going back to the Macy's story. Mm -hmm. It's about diversification. It's about convenience. And it's an all of the above world. They're having to do many, many things, keep lots of pins in the air to make sure that customers don't jump off of their platform and go to another one.
2: People want stores for different reasons now, and they want online for different reasons, for different products and different shopping occasions. And, the smart retailers figure that out. So just because some retailers are closing some stores doesn't mean they're failing. It just means, as as Carol said, they're reallocating you know, their resources and they know more about what kinds of stores they really need.
0: Totally, well, thank you, Lionel and Carol for joining the show today. I really appreciated hearing all of your perspectives on these three topics. And I hope to see you on another rundown. Great to be with you, Julia. Yeah,
2: yeah that was really fun. I really enjoyed that. Thanks, yep. everyone.